Hey there, this is Jonathan. Welcome back to the podcast. Very thankful to have you with me today and grateful for this opportunity to talk with Aaron Boone about Psalm 23 and some excellent observations and applications that Christians can make by taking this psalm and all the comfort and faith that goes along with it and applying it to the Christian life as we relate to God. Now, we talked about it some last week, and we got more coming up. Let's jump into it, shall we? We're talking about uh, I will fear no evil. So yeah. we, we just focused on this phrase of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but mm -hmm. as we're in the valley, it says I will fear no evil. Yeah. And you're saying that phrase alone has something in there for Christians. Oh, definitely. When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, that's a terrifying picture. Right. The shadow of death. And he said, I'm not going to fear. I have, no, I have no fear. And it's not because he in and of himself is this great warrior, but it's because he has a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to God's protection for his people. Yeah. Second Thessalonians uh, 3, verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you against the evil one. There is this constant picture of God being our shepherd who wants to protect his flock. Mm -hmm. who wants to care for them and keep them safe into the promised land. Well, it makes me think of, I think, a great mindset to have, I will fear no evil, mm -hmm. is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah. who are saying, you know what, we believe that God is going to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. Yeah, And that, so I don't, I don't need to be gratified in the moment. Mm -hmm. I can rely on God's promises long term. And that phrase where they're speaking to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, but if not, we're still not going to bow down. It always gives me uh, chills, just that thought, that confidence. But you're right. The protection isn't always physical. And to illustrate that, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.18, that the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Mm -hmm. So he's not going to... He might protect Saul, and at times he did in shipwreck and other things. He protected him physically and kept him safe in those right. hard times. But the ultimate protection that God gives and Paul is relying on is that he brings him into the heavenly kingdom. And that's Paul's hope. It's not necessarily a physical rescue or protection, yeah. but a spiritual one. Yeah. And that's that confidence that you know, no one can take us from God's hands. We can leave, but no one could take us. Well, the prophet, or the prophet, the, the psalmist... Uh, explains why he has no fear immediately afterwards. Yep. Yea, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Tell me about faithfulness. It is a defining marker of God. It is who he is. Mm -hmm. And we see that time and time again, that where Israel wasn't faithful, but God was. You know, multiple times throughout Exodus and Numbers, God sees Israel sinning. And tells Moses, you know what? I'm done with them. We're going to start over with you and your family. And Moses says, wait a second. Let's remember our promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he right. could still fulfill that through Moses. But he's saying, let's not do it this way. Right. And that's a testament to Moses' ability to speak to God, to tell him, wait a second, let's go a different path. But God is faithful. He's going to remember his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Second Timothy, in we're faithless. He remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's who God is. God is faithful. One of the questions that I've been asked uh, in the past few months by somebody was, uh, 
does God ever change? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are scriptures that talk about how God is changeless. And then there's other scriptures where he does change his mind. Mm-hmm. And so what I answered them with, and I believe it's as scriptural as I can be, and it is that God changes, and because of that, he is changeless. And you really have to define what you're talking about there, but because mm-hmm. God changes his mind, he is faithful. Mm-hmm. You think about Nineveh, and it's like when God changed his mind, it wasn't that he was uh, you know, contradicting himself, but he was being faithful to his original promise, yeah. which is if you're faithful to me, if you'll serve me, then I will spare you. If you're not faithful to me, then I will not spare you. Yeah. And that's kind of been it through all of time. So yeah. um, he, he is willing to change his mind. And in doing so, he's faithful to that great redemption arc that he offers anyone. Yeah. There's that, there's that ultimate goal, too, where God is changeless in his characteristics. He is faithful, and that's never changing. He right. is righteous and just and loving and those don't change but if there is a righteous path in one direction or another he's willing to hear out both sides so with Sodom and Gomorrah you know he's being asked if there's 10 righteous right. people <laughs> he's like, okay I would spare it because he could still be righteous either way yeah I'll spare it sure I can give them more time and there aren't and so he says okay mm-hmm. and he's righteous in his judgment and mm-hmm. but that is an important thought you know God can change his mind and the way that often works is through prayer. Yeah. And it's it's an amazing relationship that God's people can have with him that our prayers can change his mind. I've often both wondered and shuddered at the thought of someday, Lord willing, being in heaven with God, having a very intimate uh, conversation with him about my life and coming to understand all the times that he did change his mind towards me. Mm-hmm. I both long for that, but I'm also afraid of just to look in hindsight and think, wow, what a doofus you, I was at times. You just want to say thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. Even absolutely. though that falls short when you think right. about it. But yeah. Right. Well, let's. we have a final thought in this sentence. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, you're going to talk about discipline. So I'll maybe begin by posing this question. How in the world can a rod and a staff, instruments of discipline, provide comfort? Well, I'm not um, I'm not a parent, so I've never disciplined anyone. But the purpose of discipline is not to destroy. Maybe man will do this sometimes. The purpose of discipline is not to destroy. The purpose of discipline is to correct. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it is... A comfort because for David think of David who's writing this the times that he sinned and God disciplined him he took his child back yeah into his hands he you know he he can continually will discipline David when David sins and because of that David gets back on the right track so in hindsight David is able to say, thank you for the discipline mm-hmm. because it's, I'm faithful now because of it. Mm-hmm. And the moment, he's maybe not so, he doesn't like it so much. And that's what Hebrews talks about. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, um, maybe verse 7, in speaking of how God disciplines, he says, if you endure chastening 
from God, God deals with you as a son. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you will become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now no chastening, verse 11, seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that's how it's comforting. It's usually an afterthought. When you think back on, Mm -hmm. I'm really thankful my parents disciplined me. Yep. Because now I'm on a better path for it. And we see that where there's strong discipline often, there is strong character within an individual. Yeah. And that's why David can look back and say, I'm comforted by your rod and your staff. And he could write, and you know, he's also comforted through God's graciousness and goodness, but he wants to highlight, it was your discipline that comforts me now because that's why I'm on the right track. Yeah. A shepherd's rod, a shepherd's staff, uh, you know, these things are meant to kind of make sure the sheep stay in line, mm-hmm. you know, and yet this is his source of comfort. Yeah. And I feel that way. I'm sure you do, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we look back at our parents and we see what they did for us back then, didn't always like the, the rod of correction. <laughs> no. It's your least favorite thing. No. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I can't say I ever enjoyed being spanked, but I can definitely say that spanking helped me. Yeah. Improve. Mm-hmm. And I now say it to my kids. <laughs> there you go. It's the circle of life. It is. Um, let's look at the next phrase. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So we'll go ahead and pause there. That's a sentence. But okay. there's several uh, good teaching points for a Christian to consider. Um, let's begin with that first one of preparing the table. What what's what can I take away from this? Preparing a table in the presence of my enemies? So when you're in the presence of your enemies, the last thing you're thinking about is eating or is any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> sure. And yet there's so much hope within David's heart that God will see him through. Yeah. That God is preparing, is preparing this table before him. And, you know, the enemies aren't going to do anything because right. God is with me. And so there's hope. That that's what this table and this concept produces is hope that I'm going to get through this situation and there's a there's an end game to it. And God is continually offering us hope in the presence of enemies and hardships. I think of one of my favorite verses is Paul in Second Corinthians in verse chapter four, verse 16 through 18. Paul notes that so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. So there's this hardship. Our outer self, we know, our body is deteriorating and is going through hardships. And I'm young, but uh, I'm held together by screws and metal plates. Right. And so there's parts of of my arms and body that hurt, and it's wasting away. But he says, "For for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he gives these three earthly things, this light momentary affliction. And he contrasts that to three divine things. This weight, this weighted glory, which is eternal. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, this is giving us hope. For we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. Paul Paul can call shipwreck, stoning, beating, imprisonment, and finally death. Yeah. A light momentary affliction because he has hope. Right. That there is an eternal weighted glory. And that's what's being talked about 
all the way back in Psalm 23, that we have hope in the presence of an enemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because God is is setting us up to be you know, calm and rested, rested through this hardship of an enemy. Yeah. And in addition to having the table set, uh, then there's a couple of personal actions. One, you're anointing my head with oil. Secondly, my cup is overflowing. Um, you know, to a modern reader, to have your head anointed with oil might not seem like something you might want to do. So right? what, what, what would the ancient writer be talking about here? Well, it's something that he's personally experienced. So anointing your head with oil, uh, we can say it represents consecration. Okay. To the modern listener, consecration may not mean much because it's not a used <laughs> word we use often, but it, it's more of the idea of being set apart. Okay, set apart. Yeah. So think of David. Uh, Saul sins. He doesn't destroy all the Amalekites. Right. And he rips the prophet's robe from him, and he says, as you've torn my robe from me, so your kingdom is torn from you. And mm-hmm. God then tells the prophet, Go, go find my new king, and it's going to be in David. And what he does when he finds David is he anoints his head with oil. And what that signifies is David is now set apart from the rest of the nation as the next king of Israel. Right. Despite Saul's kids, sons, mm-hmm. David is now, really in God's eyes, the new king of Israel. The people will take time for him to actually be in the physical role of king. But the anointing of one's head with oil is the idea of being set apart. And Christians are set apart. That's who we are. Yeah. We're people set apart from this world. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, verse 4, he says, they think it's strange of those who we used to run with. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So he is contrasting in 1 Peter 4, the new life, and that now you do not live in drunkenness, idolatries, and revelries, and these other things. And the people you used to do that with, he says, you think it's strange. They think it's strange. Yeah. In fact, they revile you for not being like them anymore. The con- concept is that now that you're a part of God's kingdom and his flock, you've been set apart from the rest of the world. Right. You know, part of the anointing uh, picture is is simply the word Messiah or Christ, which mm-hmm. just means the anointed one. Yeah. And the fact that Jesus, uh, I've had studies with folks in the past where I'd say, you do know that Christ wasn't his last name. Yeah. You know, it was Jonathan Edwards and Jesus Christ. That's not first name and family name. It's titles, that's, yeah. That's his title, Jesus the Anointed, that he's been separated. He's unique. And but, oh, sorry. No, finish. Uh, and the culmination of that is amazing. Noting and studying the Old Testament, which shows that you had three anointed positions, mm-hmm. prophet, priest, and king. And then the New Testament comes through and labels and worked with Christ as prophet, priest, and king. So when Christ is the anointed one, he is not just an anno- another anointed one. Right. He's not just an, an, an anointed prophet. He is the prophet, the king, and the priest. Mm-hmm. And that's that amazing fulfillment of that title, Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my cup overflows. This one may be the easiest Oh yeah. out of all of the... <laughs> Figures in Psalm 23. Yeah. And an overflowing cup is just overabundance, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Not a mistake like my kids whenever they pour a cup of milk. <laughs> no. Oh, no. It's it's a deliberate thing that God is doing, and he, he is a gift-giving God. He wants his people to thrive. Uh-huh. And 
he abundantly provides for his people. Jesus, again, John chapter 10, notes that the thief does not come to steal, except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Right. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly, more abundantly or yeah. more abundantly. Yeah. And so that's this wonderful blessing. He doesn't just want you to get by mm-hmm. spiritually. He mm-hmm. wants you to thrive. That's why he's given us in Second Peter all things that pertain to life and godliness. Yeah. So that we can have an abundant spiritual life. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got one final phrase. Uh, it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Uh, I, I see two things here in the notes. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about blessing and security? Yeah. So we get this, you know, these, he's drawing near to his conclusion. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's an amazing you know, thought for David, who's lost children, who's, you know, lost friends. Jonathan, Jonathan, Saul's son, right. was his best friend, right. was a brother to him, and he lost him, and he, he's seen all of this, and yet he can still look at God and the good things he's given him and said, goodness and mercy are following me everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. And that's what God is doing. You know, he said he abundantly provides, and his blessings and his goodness are following his people everywhere they go. That's what the New Testament calls contentment. Uh, I think joy could often be used there as well. Yeah. But just the idea that whatever happens, I know how to be content. I know how to have joy. I don't have to be happy yeah. all the time because I know that's not healthy. It's not possible. Whatever makes me happy today is yeah. not going to make me happy tomorrow. But I know how to be abound. I know how to be abased and to abound. Right. To be hungry and full. Right. Yeah. So there's blessing here. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Mm-hmm. Talk talk to me about this security. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's this. Uh, we're gonna break that last one down into two. Okay. Let's think about it in my. It's kind of how I'm doing it right now in my head. So I'm gonna dwell in the house of the Lord. There's this concept of security that He's now providing for us, and David is confident in that. He knows that there is no weapon, no foe who can break into that house. Right. And, uh, the Book of John writes of that that. God is greater, in John 10, verse 29, than all, and no one is able to take us from his hands. And so being in the Lord's house Mm -hmm. is this secure place Mm -hmm. where I always clarify, we can walk out, but no one can reach their hand in and take us out. Right. And that's this security that David has as he's closing his, his chapter on these amazing blessings that he's been, even he's been given from God. And so he gives us security, but all of these kind of points will point to one final thought that David has. Yeah. Now, before you go on, I'll just mention this. Yeah. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? I am convinced that neither death nor life nor heaven nor hell, you know, angel nor demon, nothing can separate. Those. So like you mentioned, you can walk out. Yeah. But nothing can pull you out. There is security in the believer. Yeah. Now, you're like you just mentioned, all of these kind of are pointing us towards something. So even though we're at the end of the psalm, uh, there is this one more truth that a Christian can gain based on these 14 things. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is a great place for us to talk about the conclusion of Psalm 23. What is this final takeaway that we get? It's one word, and it's just that concept of forever. Mm. And that is confidence. Confidence. Confidence, where... 
He's written all this stuff. He's gone through hardships and trials. And now he's confident. He's I'm going to live there forever. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes I'm not as confident as I can be or should be. And Christians in general, and I think we do it sometimes humbly, not trying to be arrogant. Oh, I can go, I'm going to heaven. But the Bible will continually write about the confidence Christians can have in right. e- the eternity of heaven mm-hmm. and in heaven itself. Uh, we already talked about the faithfulness of God. And in 1 John 2, verse 25, it says that he, that this is the promise that has promised us eternal life. Yep. If God is faithful, then his promise of eternal life is coming to fruition, and mm-hmm. it will. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that the Bible reminds us of, of confidence. And Isn't it in Hebrews 4, the phrase, uh, so that we may boldly go before the throne in confidence? Yeah. You know, yeah. The idea that uh, we've got this great high priest who's sympathized yet without weakness or without sin. Yeah. So, man, we're able to boldly go before the throne. Yeah. It's confidence all over it. Right. And 1 John 5, verse 13, John's closing his first letter out to the churches there and to the Christians. And he says, This reason I have written all these things to you, that you may believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and that you may know that uh-huh. you have eternal yeah. life. That's that confidence. You know. All the way back in Psalms. I'm going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. And John says, you can know that you have eternal life. And John is a great book in uh, giving you qualifications. Do you love your brother? Do you love Christ? Are you a disciple? Are you following? Sure. But that's that confidence that we can have, and we shouldn't shy away from it. And people are, are you going to heaven? We should be able to look at our lives and compare it to Scripture. Now, it's not our own standard. Right. But when we look at Scripture right. and say, I've been forgiven, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And I am walking with Christ. And there's nothing arrogant about that because that requires what we talked about uh, in others, being poor in spirit. Right. Being able to recognize your total dependence upon God. And so it's not an arrogant phrase. It can be said arrogantly. Mm -hmm. But when done truthfully, it can be a representation of that beatitude and the confidence Christians can have. Amen, brother. Well, I tell you what, this has been a very healthy conversation for me just to look at Psalm 23 and then you can read through it in 30 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> it was. You, you mentioned in the beginning it, the most one of the most famous Psalms and even yeah. chapters out there. Um, it wasn't until and I don't know how Jimmy Kading will feel about me telling this. <laughs> it wasn't until I was studying with Jimmy Kading and we were working on memorization of scriptures, which is important. He said, well, read Tell me Psalm 23. And I was probably 20 at the time. I said, I can't tell you Psalm 23. And so Jimmy Kading would pull up YouTube videos of five-year-olds reading Psalm 23 from memory and said, he can do it. Why can't you do it? Oh, man. <laughs> and, and he was, you know, he was in love the whole time. He's a, a good friend. And so, and really, you know, within a day, I was like, all right, I got it. I can do it. But that was his most like, this five-year-old can do Psalm man. 23. It is so well known. And that really drove me to want to study it further because we memorize it all the time. Right. And any, you know, any five-year-old on YouTube can <laughs> quote Psalm 23. But can we say, how does this affect, how does, how does this affect me? What am I going to actually learn from this? Right. And that's, you know, God's word is meant, wisdom literature is to teach us yeah. how to live good lives. And how is Psalm 23 teaching me that? Yeah. Well, thank you, brother, for coming in. This has been a great conversation. I hope it's helpful for others. And, 
uh, I'm thankful for our time together. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Aaron for coming on one last time. Thank you, brother, for the work you've done and the study you put into all of that. Thankful that you would be willing to come in and have this Bible study conversation with me. You know, something I look forward to doing with some of the notes that guys bring and we talk about for long periods of time is taking those notes and putting them in my study Bible. And if you are the type of person that enjoys uh, putting information in the margins of your Bible, I tell you what, all of these Christian attributes from Psalm 23 would be an excellent addition to either a notebook or the margins of your study Bible. I think I'm going to do it, and I hope that you would consider it as well. Now, until next week, whenever we air another podcast episode on Mondays, there's a lot of information on the website, and I say it every week, and I'll just say it one more time. It's all there for you to download and use absolutely free. So go check it out and share it with friends. This is a great way to evangelize with people that you care about is by sharing the podcast, sharing YouTube videos, workbooks, uh, free Bible study courses. There's just a lot there for you to use in your own work. And until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.